Catch new episodes of Dial the Gate weekends at youtube.com slash dialthegate. And for the latest schedule, visit dialthegate.com. Welcome, everyone, to episode 92 of Dial the Gate. We're creeping towards 100. My name is David Reed. Thanks so much for joining us. Gary Jones, Chief Master Sergeant, Walter Harriman, will be joining us today. But before we bring him in, if you like Stargate and you want to see more content like this on YouTube, it would mean a great deal if you click the like button. It really makes a difference with YouTube's algorithm and will definitely help the show grow its audience. And please consider sharing this video with a Stargate friend. And if you want to get notified about future episodes, click the subscribe icon. And giving the bell icon a click will notify you the moment a new video drops. And you'll get my notifications of any last-minute guest changes. This is key if you plan on watching live. And clips from this live stream will be released over the course of the next few days on the GateWorld.net YouTube channels. Uh, as with most of our live programming, the moderators are standing by to take your uh, messages in youtube.com slash dial the gates for Gary Jones. You can ask him anything. The moderators will get that over to me and I will do my best to ask uh, Gary. And, you know, it's it's always just absolutely a pleasure to have this gentleman on. He did some uh, projects for us recently over the course of uh, the last few months, fan episodes, and now I get to have him back Mr. Gary Jones, welcome to the show, sir. <laughs> Gary, yeah. how are you? David, David, I'm good. I'm great. I'm always good. How I'm always was good. Like, it? Like, like my mom, when I asked my mom, she's 86, in a wheelchair, can't walk anymore, spends a lot of time in, in the bed in the home. And I go, uh, how are you, mom? She goes, Fantastic. And I go, really? And she, goes, she goes, she goes, well, why not? Like, yeah, why not indeed? Why not? Like, why not have that choice instead of, uh, and she said, because nobody else cares anyway. So it doesn't oh, matter. Oh, that's not true. No, but you know what she's saying. She's saying, like, why not just be great? Right. That's what, that's what my mom's uh, attitude is. So I try to adopt that. And it's gotten her through uh, COVID. Yeah. She contracted COVID. Wow. And then once she got through that, she got pneumonia. And she's oh, you're kidding. Going. She's still going. She's Good amazing. for her. What a trooper. Yeah, yeah. Is she oh, the yeah. one who you forced to sit down in front of a in front of a, a Zoom chat to say hello to everybody? Was she the one who wasn't gonna do it? Yes. Right? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She was like, Oh no, it's computers. I don't want to do that. Right. And then they just then they just rolled her up to her, <laughs> to the desktop and she was like, Oh my god. You know? She couldn't get her head around it. Like my cousin from Wales was there and she's like, where are you? Are you all together? And I'm like, no, no, Paul's in Wales. You know, so-and-so's in Toronto. You're in Toronto and I'm in Vancouver. And she'd like, it was like mind. The marvels of technology. Mind bending to her. Yeah. Anyway. Absolutely crazy. So Gary, you spent, um, uh, what what it was actually a day, uh, an afternoon, talking with fans, but it turned out to be reams of content uh, for for Dial the Gate about their 
their love of this this franchise and what um, it has meant to them over the years. And we, we you talked with people who um, have had uh, struggles with depression or mental illness, you know, mm-hmm. or uh, f- found um, ways to use the show to help them grow with their family together and and sitting on odd couches, if I if I remember correctly, and uh, ugly couches and, you know, just uh, finding ways to use the show to connect with, with other people. Uh, what was that process like doing those segments for the show? Uh, it was just, I mean, I remember in the, in the very, very early days of, um, of being invited to conventions that I just didn't understand it. I didn't, Mm. I was, I sort of did, I didn't buy into it because mostly because I didn't believe in the very, very early days that, uh, that fans even knew who I was. I just thought, no, I'm just a secondary character. I'm not a lead, you know. So, but but when they when they invited me to a convention, and I kind of reluctantly, I thought, and went sort of reluctantly, kind of out of curiosity too, and then was hit with all these fans who absolutely knew who I was. And I I had to really there was a major period of adjustment because I thought, oh, these are just you know, like, like, who are these people who are obsessed with this show? And like, why? And I didn't get it. And it took me a little while. When I got it, and I suddenly went, Oh, my God, this is an actual community. Mm -hmm. This is a community of people Mm -hmm. um, that, that are just lovely. And the more I got to stand at my table with my eight by tens. I mean, that's one thing, right? You go there because, you know, you're, you're, you know, you're trying to get, you sell your autograph. Yeah, it's a passive that. income source. Yeah. It's a passive income source. And, you, you know, you go because of that. But sometimes even that alone is not enough yeah. to keep you going because if you're not into it, you can go, ah, oh, no, you know what? I, I, because what it requires is a certain level of commitment, energy, uh, curiosity, and and sort of desire to meet the fans. And once I got to the point where I I suddenly started finding the fans really interesting, then I kind of crossed over. Like, for me, I... I kind of downplay what I do because I go, well, you know, I'm an actor and whatever. I just get read my part and read my lines and whatever. But then when guys would come up to me, you know, I remember one guy came up to me and he just looked, he just looked like a, like a guy who, like he, he almost looked like a homeless guy. You know, it was the best way I could describe it. Just like nothing, nothing, uh, nothing to striking him. about the guy, yeah. nothing to him. And he comes up to my table and, uh, you know, he's talking about the show. And then I, and I said, well, I said, what do you do? What do you, what's, what's going on with you? And he said, he said, oh, I'm retired now. And I was like, oh yeah, retired from what? And he goes, uh, putting electrical systems in nuclear subs. And I was like, someone's got to do it. Right. I was like, yeah, but I was like, what? Yeah. After that, like it was those kinds of, I thought, oh my God, there is a, there is a mine of like information and interesting people. And then I just, then I just became, I just want to talk to the fans because I just found them all. They all have stories. They're all interesting. And um, the common thread was Stargate. Right. You know, they, that brought them to the conventions. 
that they, you know, that, that's what it was. And I thought, okay, I'll talk about Stargate, but you, but I need to know about you because there's only so much I can talk about myself. I'm happy right. to talk about the show, but you know, I just found that the, that the generally that the Stargate uh, fans were just, fascinating and really 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 lovely people there was just there's not anybody that i've met who was like you know that i didn't like or were, were obnoxious or anything like that they're, they're super nice and 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 when you're in that sort of concentrated nuclear reactor of fandom um it's great mm-hmm. it's fantastic and i've met i've i've made friends such as my friendship with you over the years mm-hmm. And I've and I've met people who come back to the same conventions, and I know them by name. And it's just like really cool. It's just cool. So to be sitting on the couch and talking to people, I just want to know about their lives. I find them genuinely interesting. That's what it is for me. And that's me. But that's me personally. Mm-hmm. I can't. I you know I can't speak for anybody else who might be put in the same position. That's just that's just who I am. You know. I am always continually surprised and you you think i wouldn't be i mean I'm, I'm 38 i've been watching this thing since i was 15 years old 14 15 continually surprised at how um when i rewatch it and i've rewatched the whole thing all of sg1 probably five six times not that many considering you know what it is that i do and i'm always finding something new in pretty mm. much every single episode wow. there is there is a depth to the storytelling, to the characterization, to the quirks that all of you players had on on screen, mm-hmm. uh, that that continually reinvigorates it. And one of the things that Brad Wright and I talked about once, and it's one of the things that that his, I believe his his agent said, was that it's just evergreen. You can always find something about it to apply mm-hmm. to apply yeah, to agree. your life That's in many cool. ways that a lot of other shows just it's one note, and it's a whatever note it is, it's a good one, but. This one, I mean, there's a reason why on the forums you see people say, I've, I've just finished SGU season two. I'm now starting at the beginning at SG1 season one. <laughs> and they start over again. Yeah. Yeah. And they, and they bring their families into it. And they bring right. their kids into it. And they go, you know, and kids grow up with their, watching their parents loving the show. And they go, well, if this is so great, I might as well just give it a shot. And then next thing you know. And then I have people coming to my table with, like, like parents and children. Mm-hmm. Who, uh, so it's like, it's like transcends generational lines, which is ah, it's like, come on, seriously, you know, but, you know, just to touch on something that you said just a moment ago, I think so much of it has to do with the writing. I mean, it's one thing to, to, you know, the chemistry between say RDA and, uh, Amanda and Chris and Michael, you, there's no way that you can have any control of that going into starting up a show. You have mm-hmm. no idea. You don't know who's going to work, who's going to not, who's going to be the, 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 the weird fourth wheel and not, right. and not work and you might have to replace or whatever. But the fact that those four worked out of the gate, the chemistry is just icing on the cake to good writing, which you can control. You can't control the chemistry, but you can control the writing. And then you've got like Brad Wright and who's iconic and Robert Cooper and, 
you know, those, all these writers and Damien Kindler and mm, John know, Paul. Yeah. Just Joe and Paul and Joe Malachi and Paul. Yeah. And, and uh, Paul Mooley. And, you know, it's like, they were all fantastic writers and, and Peter DeLuise and, oh my and gosh, they were all, Martin Wood. They were all, yeah. Directed. And Wood, yeah. And, yeah. They were all, and, and, you know, something else happened uh, from, from, um, inside the, the 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 sort of hierarchy and the and the, the 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 structure of stargate which is that they would promote from within right so what you end up getting is is uh second ad's that move to move to first ad that move to uh director that move to producers yeah look at andy makita and, you know i mean he was there from day one i know and, and just- andy Andy, I love Andy. He's like the he's the most. Andy is one of those guys that when he walks into the room, you go, "Oh, great, Andy's here." It's right. he's like that. I love Andy to bits. He's a great guy. I've had so many laughs on stage, and we became friends. We used to go to his house and visit him and his wife Candace and their kids, and and just uh, he's a great guy. And you can see it on set that 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 the it was the same crew. It was the same, like, how could you not have, you know, this incredible love infused throughout the entire show, love and respect. And, 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 and that alone helps it become a well-oiled machine. So all those other things get taken care of, like the, the chemistry gets to, gets to sort of flourish because they're not worried about like, oh, who's not getting along with who, or, you know, the, the director is not a great person or, you know, there with, with with that kind of promoting from within, you then get a shorthand. Right. Set. You get a shorthand. Everybody kind of knows, and people joke around. There's little, there's tons of joking around, um, and that's what made it a really great show to be on for me, anyway, because I got spoiled. Oh my god! <laughs> like because I wasn't a contracted player. I could still audition for other shows and say I got a day or two on another show. I would walk onto that set and I would be, I started to become really aware of the fact that I, that I would, that I really didn't know anybody. I might know one or two people or one or two crew members or maybe another actor on another show on another show, like on some other, like outer limits or something like that. Like if I got, if I got hired to, to act in something else and I would show up, and I'd be like, oh, I don't know anybody, right. you know? And then you just kind of, you're there just to kind of do your thing and you got hired because you fit the part and whatever. But it was not like walking onto Stargate because from the, with Stargate, I would show up on the lot and I would know the guy at the security hut. Right. <laughs> you know, he'd come out and chat with me. Hey, how's it going? You know, and uh, like, oh, you know where you're going. Just go park or whatever. So starting there, like that's where that's where it uh, became. And then, not only that, like during shooting, if I shot a scene in the morning and then I wasn't due to shoot uh, a scene till later in the afternoon, sometimes that happened. But I, but it's not like I could go home. I was there for the day. Correct. I would just go up to the administrative offices and hang out, and I knew all the women working up there, and I and I could wander down the hall pop in to see Peter DeLuise who's working on something and have a chat with him. And uh, I just, be, when, like, when else can you do that? It's like impossible. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. You know, you can't walk into, yeah, I'm just going to go check out the, uh, you know, the people, you know, this, whatever, you know, but I would just go and have a laugh with people. And they were all really welcoming. Everybody knew everybody. You did. I don't know how else that would ever happen again, unless it was a show that was on for 10 years. And there, and to jump exactly off that point, you have a show that's on 10 years, the first one, 17 years for all of them. Andy Makita, as a, as a case example, um, was one of the ones that I had on my show who it wasn't to say it was pulling teeth is not, is not correct to get him on, but there, there is this lack of pretentiousness with all of you that a little bit of pretentiousness wouldn't hurt for, in terms of knowing that you guys, how much you guys are worth to us as fans, because he was like, I'll, I'll be happy to come on your show and sit with you, David. I like you, but I don't know what I'm going to talk about for an hour. Yeah. I don't know what I'm going to talk about. And then we yeah. sit down and I bring up heroes or I bring up some of these other episodes. And he's like, oh, okay, well, so with heroes, this is what we did. We did this and we did, it's like, yeah, Andy, yeah. don't you see what you just did? That's <laughs> yeah. what I'm talking about. Yeah. That's the magic in a bottle that you guys have. And he's like, oh, that's it. I'm like, yes, more please. Now let's yeah, go to another one, you know? Yeah. And it was th- it was only then that it was like, okay, now I get it. It's like, guys, yeah. you guys have stories to mine that all of us are craving, you know? I know, but that is that is part of it. It's um <laughs> they're not they're not they're, they're doing their jobs they're really doing their well, jobs. but they're but they're not thinking, "Oh, this will translate at a convention." Right. Just that, I mean, to be honest, after a while, I would. Yeah, like, you had I to would, discover it for yourself. Yeah, but I would say, like, when I, when, when I first started doing conventions, my background in comedy kicked in. So my background in improv comedy and, and some stand-up kicked in. And I thought, oh, well, what am I going to bring to the table at a convention? Because it's not like Michael Shanks can walk on stage and they can just applaud for 10 minutes. Right. and you know, conceivably, Michael Shanks wouldn't have to do anything, you know, to have to fill a hall. You know, they just want to be there to, to be with him, to yeah. see him and be with him and be in the same room with him. But for me, I'm like, mm, I got to make myself kind of useful around here. And how am I going to do that? So I just thought, oh, just my natural kind of tendency to tell stories. Um, I thought, well, there's been some pretty funny stuff that's happened on set that I see through my eyes, like mm-hmm. certain, you could talk to somebody else that was in the same incident or in the same episode as me and they wouldn't see it the same way. But my kind of view is always, where's the comedy here? Like what is, what is the hilarious thing that happened here? That, that is my particular viewpoint. Right. And uh, so once I started doing that and the more I thought about it, the more I went, oh, then there was that story. And then, oh, then, oh, I remember that happened. And I started collecting these stories so that when I finally, you know, got kind of like up and running, you know, um, at these conventions where I did more of them, I could I could be on stage and talk for an hour. I could like talk yeah. straight for an hour. And then, and then you throw in um, audience members asking questions, and it's like, <laughs> for me, it's like manna from heaven. Then I can get to goof around with the audience, have fun with the audience, and just 
tell stories and I'm in heaven. It's and it's only to a certain extent about your relationship with Stargate. They also want to get to know you. I mean, you shared a Mickey Rooney story once about getting a photo with yeah. Mickey Rooney that was just hilarious. Yeah. And but that's like, what I that's what I mean though. Yeah. Like like so, like honestly, another actor <clears throat> given the same circumstance could literally be traumatized right. by that and just be like, "Oh my god, you know, like he Mickey Rooney tore a strip off me and he was horrible and blah blah blah." And it's just the viewpoint. It's like, it's like, what is, how, what, what lens are are you going to see this through? And I'm always looking for the funny lens. Always. It's never like, you know, even if a person's horrible, even if, even if I work with an actor and you go, Oh my God, that was a nightmare. But that's life. And life is funny. The nightmare becomes like how much of a nightmare? Like, Oh my God. Yeah. 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 It's just crazy. I have um, something that we're going to be sh- – I, I want to uh, uh, prepare everyone for this in a little bit here. We had Garwin Sanford on uh, November, December at this point, and he shared his collection of art with us. And one of the things that we've done uh, today, uh, the last time that Gary and I uh, sat down together, he was uh, showing off some of his paintings. And so one of the things that we're going to, to do in just a little bit here is show off some of his uh, uh, his art uh, much more uh, with, with, a, with a, a greater focus to detail. I got it. I got it in advance and we're going to go through it here. But before we get to that, I wanted to talk about how the character after we kind of settled on what his name friggin' was, had evolved from being just kind of a gate technician to more of an administrative assistant role within the base. And it's Mm. something that you could tell that, I mean, if you read between the lines, his relationship with General Hammond really cultivated this throughout the seasons so Mm. that by the time that O'Neill takes over as general in season eight, O'Neill's like, okay, you're the guy. You know, mm-hmm. you're, you're the guy to help me get through this, to, to you know, prop me up and make me look good to all these mm-hmm. people who are coming in thinking that, you know, they're going to come in to, to meet someone serious and they're not, you know, some at some point the paperwork has to get done and you're going to help me do it. Right. That change in season eight was fantastic for the character because it gave you more work and it mm-hmm. gave you more to play in the episode. And you got to really sink your teeth into to scenes with Richard Dean. Well, yeah, I mean. Uh, to, to be honest, that um, that dynamic had nothing to do with me in terms of how it was conceived. It was it was Richard Dean who said he wanted that. He basically said, OK, if I'm going to be the general, and I'm going to be on the base. I want it. I want there to be, you know, some stuff going on. And he and he just decided that. <clears throat> That he said, you know, it'd be great if I had a better um, relationship and a more interesting relationship with Walter. He needed a radar, which is your namesake. Yeah, but that, <laughs> but that's a but that, uh, that even that is a fluke, you know. It yeah. just, it just, and so, but you got you have to remember too that by the time season eight rolled around, I had already figured out. They'd already given me kind of funny stuff to do before, little lines here and there, funny little moments or whatever. And I think as long as I had figured out what the 
tone of the comedy was because that's my job also in a in a as a comedian if you're in a funny show you got to go well what is the tone of this is it slapstick is it sarcastic is it dry is it this is it that and first of all <laughs> the first rule of comedy is you don't uh outshine the star right. so i knew that, so i knew that richard dean they gave you know in the scenes with him him and i they gave him funny lines and i just had to just get what i could out of it without overplaying my hand but also make him look good but also be funny and i figured out the tone of the comedy and i think once i figured out the tone of the comedy i think the writers when they would watch it would go okay we can give him more because he sort of knows what he's doing so that's what a lot of that came from. So season eight, nine and 10, I had like three years of just way more stuff than I would normally do. And uh, like a lot of fun. And I'd find myself in scenes with Richard Dean and like, oh my God, I couldn't believe it. You know, like I was like, look at the stuff they're giving me to do. And it was just a joy. So um, as an actor and a comedian, I got to really, uh, practice that and mm. and and kind of hone that and I was really proud of 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 that of that I'd figured that out I, I I was proud that I that I was able to do that because you know I, you know I'll give you an example that 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 um, do you remember the episode that had Wallace Shawn in it yes I did that was okay uh, yes absolutely right. okay so so ties that bind I, I believe I don't know if you ever heard this story, but, but, and it's a, it's such a funny story to me is that I got a call one day from a buddy of mine named uh, Mike Roberts, who has since passed away. He was a oh, really funny guy. Yeah. He's a lovely guy. And, but he, he was really in, 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 in fact, in, if you ever saw a show called the new Adams family, um, uh, you try and find it. Okay. It's the new Adams family. And, uh, uh, side note: Ellie Harvey plays Morticia, and Ellie Harvey played Novak. Yes, she did. The show <laughs> where she got the hiccups, right. right, and was drinking from a glass of water or whatever. Damn right? it! That's Ellie, that's, <laughs> that's Ellie Harvey, and she played Morticia. Mike Roberts played Uncle Fester. Oh, so was, wow, okay. He was this round little guy, <laughs> and uh, and he was very funny. Anyway, one day he calls me up, and he goes, he goes. Gary, you're not going to believe this. I got a, I got an audition for Stargate, and I, I was like, oh great, Mike, that's awesome. Because people who are close to me, they knew that I'd been on the show forever, right. and so if they got a, you know, everybody wanted to audition for Stargate and get on Stargate and do something on Stargate, and I was like, what, like, what is the part? He goes, oh, I'm auditioning for the part of this alien, and he, and he, and he says to me, he says to me, I, I'm just asking you what like what is like how should i play it like it's it's kind of a funny part right it's kind of, it's got comedy in it and and uh how should i play it and i just happened to realize that i was in that episode it was upcoming and i had the script <laughs> I, I couldn't believe it i was like i was like mike i've got the script right here let me have a look swear to god so i i peel through it and i read what he's gonna do and it was quite funny. And I said, oh, Mike, you know what? This is the great thing about Stargate writing in terms of comedy. I go, you don't have to do anything. The writing is enough. You don't have to push it. You don't have to make a meal of it. 
I go, I can read it right here and I can tell that it's funny. You just need to be you and just do it, right? And he goes, oh, great, great. So he was really, so he goes and does his audition, phones me back after and he says, uh, he goes, guess what? The audition went really well. He goes, thank you so much for your advice. I think I really knocked it out of the park. It was great. And I said, Mike, I can't wait to work with you. Like I, you know, I, I don't know why they wouldn't, why they wouldn't cast you. And uh, so a couple of days go by. And of course, you know, they're, when they cast, it's like the episode's coming up pretty fast. So they like right. to get their casting done quite quickly, right? So if you're, if you don't know, like, kind of like the day after, um, then it's like, something's wrong. What's going on? What's going on? So he, he waited like two days and he hadn't heard. And uh, so he calls me up and he says, I have, he goes, do you know, I haven't heard anything. Like, do you, do you I, I haven't heard anything. I said, well, Mike, sorry, but you know, the production team doesn't usually call me to let me know <laughs> who's cast and who's not been cast. I go, I don't get those calls. So I really can't tell. I, said, well, I don't know for whatever reason, right? Okay. So he's like, oh, okay, okay. I'll just wait in here. Cut to, I walk on set. Right. And on that, uh, and I didn't even know who was, uh, who was directing that episode mm. at that point, but I walk on and it's a guy named Will Waring and yeah. Will is, Will seriously used to be the, used to be the B camera operator. Correct. So, you know, anybody who knows about filming, it's like they have the A camera who shoots all the stars and the B camera who shoots like me. <laughs> you know, and the secondary stuff and the, you know, stuff that they fit in later sometimes. Um, but Will had worked his way up to be a director because right. it, because he was beloved. Will is a fantastic guy. He's like, oh, my God. And, and he's really good at what he does. So they went, okay, Will, you're going to have a shot at directing. And they gave him this episode. So I walk on and I, I always would come on set, go into where they're shooting and just say hi and just check in or whatever. And uh, I see Will and I'm like, oh, Will, congratulations on shooting this. He goes, oh yeah, thanks a lot. He goes, hey, guess what? You know who's the, you know who we, uh, we nailed for this episode as the, as the alien? And I go, who? And he goes, uh, Wallace Shawn. And I go, oh my God. Right. Said, oh, Wallace Shawn is the alien? Right. And he goes, yeah. And he, uh, he goes, yeah. and I go, oh, a really good buddy of mine audition for that part, Mike Roberts. And uh, he was wondering why he didn't get cast. And he goes, he goes, oh, he goes, let me tell you something. Mike Roberts was fantastic. Yeah. He did such a good job. And I'm like, oh, okay. He goes, you want to know what happens? Kind of a funny story. <laughs> so Mike is auditioning for Joe and Paul because they were, they, they, they were the ones in the casting. Mm -hmm on the casting uh, thing and there's mike auditioning and joe writes on a piece of paper to, and slides it over to paul and it says reminds me of wallace sean oh, and he no. just slides it over to paul and paul looks at mike and and he just and, he, and paul writes on the piece of paper gives it back to um joe says think we can get wallace sean Next That's what happened. They called Wallace Shawn's agent. <sighs> Wallace Shawn was in a play in New York or something like that. He was in a play and he was, and he was dark on like the Monday. 
like you know dark days in a play means right. that uh, you, you you're know, free. you'll do you're, you're free you're free that day they flew him up and filmed him in a day and uh and then flew him back and and i and oh my god i could not so i get i, I called mike i go well guess what I guess, guess what? You Wallace Shawned your way out of that audition. He's like, what? I go, you were so much like Wallace Shawn that they hired Wallace Shawn. <laughs> He's like, what? I go, you idiot. You inspired them to cast someone else. You were that good. You were that good. You were, you acted so much like, like you were so good and funny that you made them think of Wallace Shawn so they just hired Wallace Shawn. And he, that's why you didn't get cast. And he was like... I'm going to go jump off a building now. No, he goes, well, I guess I can take solace in, you know, that I, that I acted well. But we just laughed our asses off. I mean... How that, are you supposed to respond to that? You know, what can you that do? Is the stuff, that is the stuff as an actor you would never know in a million years. Because they're not going to call you and go, you know what, Mike, you were, please, you know, call his agent, tell Mike he was fantastic, but he was so much like Wallace Shawn that we hired the actual Wallace Shawn. So Mike didn't get cast. You don't get that. You, so it was only through me being in the episode, him having called me, and otherwise I would have not, I wouldn't have even had a clue. I would have just walked on set and gone, wow, Wallace Shawn's in this episode? Oh, that's cool. But because it was, because it was uh, this, uh, this, my buddy Mike, who was hilarious. Uh, was I able to have fun with it and inspired them to go a different way without putting a penny in his pocket? You know, the the, the creative process is one that is um, uh, it, it's an interesting one. <laughs> like in situations like this, I mean, what are you going to do? You know, I mean, if you inspire them to go with someone else, I mean, that's I think that's probably a new one on that I've ever heard inspiring someone to say, you know what? You're so much like someone else. I want to go with that person because you made me think of them. <laughs> I know it's the first time I've heard of it, too. And uh, and I just killed myself laughing. It was so funny. And Mike and I had a really good laugh about it. It was a it was a it was a I to me, that's just the best story. That's the best story. What was it like going from Richard Dean to Bo Bridges in season nine? Uh, well, in the very first episode that, you know, I met him right. and he was the first guy really like even outside of, outside of uh, uh, Don Davis and, uh, right. and Richard Dean, he pulled me aside and he said, okay, what is our relationship? What is this one? <laughs> How does this work between me and, me and you? And I was like, oh, my God, here I am chatting with Bo Bridges about our relationship. I mean, it's kind of every actor's dream. But for him, it was like a no-brainer. And I thought, wow, this is really cool. He, he, like, he's not just looking at me as like, oh, the guy who opens the gate. He wants to know what, what our dynamic is. Right. So that was, that was great. And, then, and, then, and then, um, then you take it from there. And then you see moments where he's trying to, you know, use the the phone and I'm like, sir, you press that button, you know, like you press the other button, you know, right. like, like, okay, got it. You know, and I'm just like, I know what he needs. Kind of I thing. like yelling at people. I never get the chance around here. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, uh, but I do remember that uh, on the first scene I ever had with Bo Bridges, 
um, he's standing behind me and he does one of those, you know, open the iris, Walter, whatever. I can some kind of old command yeah. or whatever. And uh, Peter DeLuise came up to me afterwards, like they shot the scene and then he goes, okay, we're going to shoot it again. And he said, he goes, okay, we're going to do this scene, but do all your lines as William Shatner. Do all your lines as Kirk. And he would make me do this all the time. Like all the crew got used to it, where I would go, oh my God, we've lost contact with the mouth, sir. I don't know what's going on. You know, I'm just doing my cheesy William Shatner and just for Peter's amusement. So he says to me, uh, when I'm in a scene with Bo Bridges, movie star, famous, you know, iconic Bo Bridges, he goes, do it as Kirk. And I go, no, I'm not doing it as Kirk. He goes, do it as Kirk. And I go, Peter, it's Bo Bridges. I'm, I don't want to do Kirk. I'm tired of doing Kirk. You make me do Kirk all the time. He goes, do it as Kirk. And I go, This is your okay. director. Yes, my director. <laughs> yeah. It's like, why don't we just waste everybody's time with like to amuse Peter? You know, <laughs> are we not entertained? <laughs> so, so I go, uh, I go, okay. All right. I don't care. Fine. So we do it. So we do the scene again. Bo, Bo's like, "Oh, how come we're shooting this? Oh, lighting, you know, some kind of lighting glitch or whatever." Oh, okay. So we do the scene again, and then I was like, "Oh my God!" So you know, and just going through all the things and doing my Kirk and like, you know, on camera, and the film's rolling. It's film's rolling. It's totally rolling. Camera's looking straight at me. It's me uh, on a on a, on a close up, and they've got and they're looking at. Bow too, and they're doing and and uh, and I'm just full on Kirk, <laughs> and then Peter just goes and cut, and and we end the scene, and the crew's like they're so used to this now. The crew were used to two things: they were used to me saying Chevron One encoded all the way through to Chevron Seven locked. They'd be like, they're like, oh, here we go, and then the other one was Kirk, where they eventually go, oh, here we go. You know? <laughs> He's doing Kirk again, and uh, as opposed to Kierkegaard. Um, so when we finished that scene, I just Bo hadn't even he was just standing there, like looking, like he was kind of going, "What, what just happened?" And uh, and uh, I just got up and I just patted him on the shoulder. I said, uh, "Welcome to SG One," and he goes. <laughs> And he just goes, got it. Yeah, he had, said, he had said pretty early on that, uh, you know, he thought that it was going to be this um, more serious set. And he, he got in, understood pretty quickly that there was a certain amount of uh, shenanigans that were just going to go on. And that he was, he was just had to be along for the ride. Like oh, he yeah, had very little control over it. Everyone was going to have a good time and yeah. he just had to get used to a little bit of a different pace in seasons nine and 10 of a show. Yeah. Not just pace, but tone. Right. Tone was huge. Like people just goofed around all the time. They just and the work got around. done, but they had a oh. good time doing it. Oh yeah. But that's the thing though, because it was like, by that point, it was just like a completely well-oiled machine. So it wasn't like, it wasn't like goofing around and slowing things down. It was like goofing around at, like you say, at the pace. 
Right. So they could have fun at the pace. The tone stayed the same. It was always lighthearted. Every problems were figured out on the fly. Nothing was like a big deal, except then you had Bo Bridges there. And he was great. He was great. Super nice guy. Really, you know, friendly. I could, you know, chat with him. And, you know, we all got our job done. But, you know, do it as Kirk. Do it as Kirk. <laughs> Do it as Shatner. You know, Shatner, do your Shatner. It's like, no, I'm not doing it. <laughs> and then that lasted like 15 seconds. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Well, what a run with that show. And then, you know, you have scenes with Jason Momoa in Atlantis that uh-huh. are terrific, referencing back to the... Um, uh, be working with with Landry and and everyone else and, and visiting General, I think if I'm if I'm not mistaken, or, or a, someone of of that equivalency. And tell us what what it was like, you know, doing the exact same stats, but f- for Atlantis tape, you know, and having scenes opposite Jason Momoa and those that that cast of characters. Well, I mean, Jason Momoa was and is like my in my experience was just like a big kid. Like he looks, he's huge, he's imposing, but he would, in between sets, he would like play ukulele or he had like a little guitar, he just kind of noodle on his guitar and like he just, you know, and he was just really ultra, ultra friendly. Just like, but he looked, of course, like he could snap your neck with one hand. And um, when I found out that I was in that scene with him in the cafeteria eating fries and talking about bingo, whatever, <laughs> again, all I could think of was like, oh, this is funny. This is, I didn't think, oh, Jason Momoa, because in the, in, in, you know, only in retrospect, when I was recently putting together an acting demo reel, did I go, oh my God, I did a scene with Aquaman, just me. Yeah. So I just took that little, I was able to take that and put that in my demo reel because I thought, I thought, well, you know what? If you don't enjoy me, at least enjoy Jason Momoa. Yeah, because he's the straight face in that. He's the straight face. He just stares at me. He's like, <laughs> this guy is beyond boring. You know? <laughs> and he's waiting for um, for Joe to come in and give him some news and then they just both take off. And, and I'm like, yeah, you know, leave me going, yeah, it's a funny story. <laughs> bit of a bit of a, I'm a bit of a raconteur, you know what I mean? If you if I if I get you alone in the cafeteria, stand by. Yeah, you, you better know? look out, man. Better look out because the stories are coming fast and furious. So I just had a, I just had a really great time in that in that show. Like what, whatever I did, and to be honest, that's the one main thing I can remember. I can't really remember anything else. You'd have to you'd have to show me the clip. So that I could go, oh yeah, right, that. Because because with with the Atlantis people, I didn't really know them. Right. I knew everybody else. But um I've since um I knew Paul McGillian from like a long time ago. And Paul and I are really, really good buddies. Paul and I are great when we both go to uh conventions because we just both try to make each other laugh. And Paul's the Paul's a sweetheart. He's very, very funny and quick and charming and hilarious. I love Paul. Paul, like, you know, if you ever go on Twitter, he's great people. You'll, you'll see me and Paul kind of hacking on each other and, <laughs> and making fun of each other. But man, there's a, we, we just, we just like love each other. Paul's a great guy. There is a, so, there, go ahead. So, so, so Paul was somebody that I kind of knew, but I didn't really do any scenes. 
I didn't really do any scenes with Paul, you know? Yeah, there the wasn't guy, a lot of crossover from Beckett to, no, to SGC no. after he went to Atlantis. No. And the other guy that I got to know, but I didn't really do any scenes with, was Chuck Campbell. Mm-hmm. Chuck Campbell. The Chuck Nishin. The Chuck Nishin. Chuck <laughs> was the stand-in. Yeah. Chuck was a stand-in. That they, again, that's what I mean about Stargate, promote, you know, the, the franchise promoting with, from within. They knew Chuck was an actor. A lot of times you'll have actors, regular actors, doing stand-in work because they... they it's the work. Work. It's They need to work and they yeah. haven't worked. So they're like, okay, well, I'll forego any auditions and I'll just I'll sign up for this long-term gig where I, at least I know I've got a weekly paycheck and mm-hmm. I'm going to be part of this show and um, I'm the stand-in because you have a job to do, right? Well, of course, Stargate just promotes a room from within mm-hmm. and making the technician. So he became my equivalent on Atlantis. Mm-hmm. And then a couple of times, Chuck and I went to conventions together. <laughs> and he is hilarious. Yeah. He's hilarious and great guy to hang out with. Oh, my God, I love He's from Newfoundland. And they've got like a real, um, they, it's, it's, it's the closest that Canada has to Ireland. Right. If you, think of, if you think of how funny Irish people are. You know, Chuck's like of that ilk, and he's just—he's a great guy. I just—I've just met so many fantastic people, and to hang out with them was just a real treat. I'm just a laugh, just a laugh. I mean, honestly, if if I didn't have a, a big laugh going to the conventions, I probably wouldn't do them, or I wouldn't do as many as I as I had done because I just knew that I was gonna go. And have a and have a laugh, especially when I found out who some of the other actors uh, who had, who they booked were going to be. Like if I like for sure, if I knew that Paul that Paul was going to be at a convention, mm-hmm. I'd, I'd want to go to that in a heartbeat. In a heartbeat, because we're like because we have ke- Paul and I have chemistry, but you know there's there's, there's some the other actors. If I walk into the green room. It's really nice to see them and they're really friendly and like, hey, how's it going? And we catch up and everything. But it's not the same as if you have that kind of chemistry because I believe that at the end of the day, that's really what fans want to see. If you're going to put a couple of actors on stage, that's what they want to see on stage. They want to see actors just having a great time with each other. And the stories can come out, but man, if the fans walk away having laughed, that's like you've done your job. You know, it's not just like, oh, I got to see so-and-so and, you know, it was interesting, but, you know, more you know, it was more technical than anything. But if they can be laughing their asses off, then that's, we've done our jobs. Absolutely. Yeah. You were kind enough to share some of your artwork the last time that you were here. And I, um, uh, went through some of uh, the content with you then, and I'd like to go through it again now, if you do not mind. Oh, that's really kind so of you, David. I've prepared uh, some of these these pieces uh, in advance, yeah. and one of the first ones that I would like to share, uh, you did artwork. We were, we were talking about this yesterday, and the first thing that you had done was you you had indicated a 911 lawyer if yeah. if i'm remembering correctly so tell us about tell us about your background in in drawing and how this this comes to this guy 
Okay. So I have no background in drawing. Okay. I, I'm just, that's just something that I, that's innate in me that I've always been able to do. Like, it just didn't mean anything to me. Um, I've had people say to me, oh my God, if I could draw like you, I'd be drawing all the time. But when, unless it's a real drive to do that, and it just is, happens to be a part of your skill set, then mm -hmm. for me, it just didn't really mean anything. And I, in looking back now, it feels like it, it kind of like I was able to draw since I was a, since I was a small boy. And I remember being coming, moving to Canada from Wales and then uh, I was in grade six and we had an art class and we had to draw a face just you know and I could t and I drew this face and I could just tell by what I'd drawn that it was good and the teacher would come around looking at everybody and saying oh you might want to try this or try that and he comes to my desk and he looks at what I've drawn and he goes oh okay so obviously you've done this before <laughs> and that was the first time I was like oh uh, it didn't occur to me. I just did what came naturally to me. Like if you put a pencil in my hand, it feels like without getting too freaky doodle about it, it feels like in a, in a past life, I was an artist and that, and that the, that the feel of a pencil in my hand mm. is the most natural. Like it's like, it becomes an extension of me. Mm -hmm. As soon as I got a pencil in my hand, like shading and just how it feels and the weight and the, you know, pressure and like the feel of it is just the best and a, and a paintbrush too. Um, so uh, cut to, you know, years later, it's like it goes dormant and I don't do anything with it. And um, around about seven years ago, I was at a, a sort of a New Year's Eve getaway up in a cabin with some with some friends. And I'd been told that there was not going to be any internet or anything like that. Movies would be on the VCR or whatever. So I thought, well, I'll take my sketch pad with me and just see if I do anything. And, I, and as usual with me, I just avoided it and just didn't do anything. And then on the day we were leaving, I thought, oh, maybe I'll just kind of peel off a sketch here. And I had a Vanity Fair magazine with me. And it was I was looking through it for some uh, something to draw, something to sketch. And um, I came across this article on this lawyer who worked on the 9-11 commission and uh, just, just kind of caught my, caught my eye. And there were two pictures of him. And one was he was looking at the camera and the other one was from behind. And he was kind of looking out his window down to where, um, you know, uh, where, where the, the World Trade Center had collapsed and they were going to build the, the monument up. The, I think it's, it's like the Freedom Monument or I can't remember the, the, the name of it. The Love Memorial, yeah. Yeah, so he was, and, and so it was kind of shot from behind him. So I just did these two little sketches of this guy um, just to kind of amuse myself. And I did them in, like in about an hour. And, um, and, and when, when one of the guys who was on, uh, on this little uh, New Year's Eve trip with me saw it, he goes, he, he's a, he was an artist as well, or was artistic. And uh, he went home based, inspired what, by what I had drawn. And, and he contacted me, he said, hey, you know, when I saw you do those little sketches, I went home and I drew something and look at what I did. And he showed it to me. And from there, I said, oh, Hey, what do you want to get together and draw like uh, on a maybe this Thursday or whatever? And he said, Yeah. So he came over. We brought chips, beer, and we drew for a couple of hours and chatted. 
And since then we've done it for like, the only thing that stopped it was COVID. We've done it for like six, six years, like once a week, he would come over to my place. And so everything that you're kind of about to show came from that, came from that. It was my working with, working with him, hanging out with him. And we, we both do, we both did like tons and tons of pencil sketches. And then it got to the point where I just said to him one day, Hey, you know what? we've done like a ton of pencil sketches. Why don't we try painting? Do you want to do, do you want to give painting a go? And he goes, yeah, sure. Neither of us knew, knew how to paint or we, we just didn't know. We just thought, well, we're feeling this kind of creative artistic vibe. Why don't we just, what's the worst that can happen? We could just look like crap. Wasted some else. paint. No, wasted some paint. Nobody's going to see it. And you just throw it away or whatever, or paint over the canvas or whatever. But I just said, you know what, let's give it a go. And he was all for it. So the next thing you know, he shows up at my place the following week with like an easel. He bought an easel. I bought an easel. We bought canvases and uh, we both went out and bought paints. And next thing you know, boom, we're at it. We're painting. And uh, so everything that, so that is the context of all this art that, you're about to show anybody that's where it came from is my, me and my buddy connecting. And before I get to a couple of the, uh, the paintings, I wanted, I wanted to uh, explore the drawing with Richard Dean Anderson first. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cause yeah. you did Rick. I did. Yeah. Tell us, tell us about, um, is this, was this drawn from a, uh, from a photo? Yeah, it was drawn from a photo. And, uh, and I thought that I would, I thought that I would, uh, maybe draw something like this and bring it to conventions uh, as something that I could offer and sell to the fans. So that's what I did. Wow. What is it about um, the, the human face? You do a lot of faces. A lot, a lot of this artwork is a lot of faces and I'm Mm going to, I'm going to pull up um, RDA's dog Andy here as well. Um, mm-hmm. what, is, what is it about, you know, the face and the eyes that, uh, that you find so compelling? Because I mean, these, you look at a, like a lot of, uh, computer game, uh, video game avatars. Now they look dead behind the eyes. They just look like they're not real at all, but these mm-hmm. are so lifelike. You make them pop. You bring them, you bring out their, you bring out their life. Um, what is it about? I, I don't know. I mean, it's just like, I look at something and I go, Oh, I like the way the light lands on this part of the face mm-hmm. or, or um, there's something about the eyes that I want to try. And I got to tell you that I, I, I experience this pretty much every time I do a portrait is I'll do one eye. I'll get one eye, right. In my opinion. And then I'm just scared to death to do the other eye. Cause I was like, Oh, if I've done one eye, right. The other eye has to be completely correct. You can't get one eye and then get the other eye and not have the other eye and the eyes. If you get the eyes, you can, you can sort of fudge the rest or you can, mm. you can kind of make the, make the rest work. But I'm telling you, if the eyes are not right, it just, right. It just doesn't work. I don't know what else to, I don't know how else to describe it. They, they have to be correct. The rest of it rings just false. Yeah. That's like, right. like, well, because when people talk, they look into each other's eyes. Right. So if somebody's going to look at one of my drawings, they're going to look into the eyes of the drawing and then they'll look at the rest of it. 
like we do as humans uh, in human interaction. So, so that's kind of like, um, that's kind of how it, uh, how it goes for me. And um, let me just turn that off. Uh, Turn my phone off right now for a sec. Um, So, so. Oh, I lost him. I think he killed himself. He must have unplugged it. Hopefully he'll come back in here. Sorry, folks. These things happen every now and then. Um, let's see here. So let me pull up while I'm trying to get him here. Uh, let me pull up some of his other artwork. Give me just a moment. So these are flowers that he's done. The benefits of doing a live show is it's completely unpredictable. There he comes. Just one second here. You there with me? I'm here now. Perfect. All right. No, you're all right. That might have had something to do with turning off my phone. I don't know. That's yeah. That was strange. That was really weird. So, it was very weird. Anyway, I'm back. I just showed so, um, your flowers. Your your first uh, your first uh, go at doing some flowers. And, oh yeah. Um, now I have uh, one of my favorites, Greta's legs. Oh yeah. <laughs> the right? human form, and, and not only that, the sheets that you're doing on is crazy. Right. Um. Those, uh, so, so what I, what, what really captivated me on, um, with that picture was, was the, were, were the sheets mm. and I, and I've just, and I hadn't really done something like a separate part of the body. Um, uh, and so it really fascinated me to, uh, to do something like that. And to be honest, when I, when I first did those sheets, um, where you see they're all kind of, there's all this sort of movement in the mm-hmm. sheet, you know? Um, it wasn't like that when I first began. Uh, but I, uh, I don't know what, ha- I would think I was reading a book about one of my favorite uh, painters uh, named uh, Lucien Freud. He's an incredible portrait artist and he paints other things as well. But <clears throat> I was, I just kept looking at the way that he would, that he would just sort of, go at it and kind of attack his paintings with a brush. Listen, I'm just making it up as I go along, right? Of course. You know, whatever, right? And the more I did it, the more I just kind of, I I realized as I was doing it, how I was creating this movement. And one of my friends, who's also a painter, said that that's one of his favorite paintings because of the movement in it, because of how much it moves. And um, I tried to paint it in such a way that it's not, it's not fine art. It's not fine detail, but it's enough that you really get the sense of uh, of what it looks like with the shadows and the underneath of her foot and the the arch and everything like that. So that's one of my. I love that painting. I love it too. I have one <laughs> of you um, that you did in uh, Florence, Italy, outside of a shop. It looks like. I yeah. love the color in this. 
and the age. Yeah. yeah. Well, this is the thing about, uh, I was on holidays with my family years ago. I have two pictures uh, of that same shot that I, th this is from a photograph that I took. The one is the old man is there uh, by himself. And then in the next one, my son is standing in front of those big doors. But, you know, when I was doing it, I was like, ah, I'm not going to take on drawing my son because if, if I don't get it right, I'm, it's not going to look good. So I decided to just do, do the one that doesn't, didn't have my son in it. Um, and also as, a, as a, just a backdrop to, to, that, uh, to that shop, in the actual photo, that shop is just, it's like, a, it's like a bomb went off in that shop with the stuff that's in the windows. And it's it just, I don't, I, I don't know what kind of store that was or what that guy was selling, but there were like tons and tons of books and in the actual photo. And I left those out. I choose, I chose to leave those out because I wanted to uh, have this guy just sitting in front of an empty doorway. <laughs> so I drew it. I, so I painted in all the, um, all the shelves and then I painted the guy. So everything is, is exactly the same. And, uh, but I got to tell you, in Florence, a lot of those buildings in the, in the, in the narrow streets, they're, they're made of uh, brick and plaster, right? Mm. So over time, a lot of the plaster that uh, is on the facade of the bricks just wears away and falls off, okay? So what do they do? They just go replaster it. They don't paint it. They right. just show up with a bunch of plaster and they plaster and they fix and that's it. it. And then they go, they go, well, it's plastered now. There's no exposed brick. So if you look at the, if you look at the, 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 the wall, the section of the wall that's got, that looks kind of like almost like burnt mm -hmm. dark, it, that's just age and kind of like, that's just the part that hasn't fallen off, you know? And if you look at the, at the sections that look kind of cleaner and whiter, that's the part that got replastered in real life. And I was trying to figure out how I could recreate that in the painting. And so I thought, oh, well, I've got a little mixing trowel of my own that I would mix my paints with. So that's what I started painting with. The other stuff I painted with a, with a fine brush. But for the wall, I, it was like I was troweling on plaster. So I would just scoop up white and I'd trowel it on. <laughs> And I'd scoop and I'd mix a bit of gray in and I'd trowel it on. And I, and I created that look of like, how can I, how can I uh, really recreate the troweling plaster effect? And I did it with my own trowel, painting trowel, mixing trowel. Yeah. And I you approached so it the same way and it resulted in the same exactly kind of effect. Same way, same way. And I got the same effect and I was really happy with that. Just uh, crazy. That yeah. Thanks. I have um, so some Arnold Newman photography uh, that was done here. Uh, you have uh, the first one that I have up. You, you had a book of his called One Mind's Eye. This gentleman yeah. here with the bald head and the big nose. Just distinct uh, features. Yeah. Um, th well, these were just he's what he's my he's my favorite uh, portrait uh black and white portrait artist, Arnold Newman. And uh, I love that book. It's full of, uh, he was one of those guys back in the sixties, lived in New York and he photographed everybody. He he photographed Picasso, Marilyn Monroe, um, you know, just all these, like all these artists, Jean Moreau, 
like all these artists and writers and authors and and poets and sculptors they're all all in this book the one mind's eye is like an amazing book if you can get your hands on it i think you can order it through amazon but it's like not in print anymore mm. you've got to kind of hunt it down uh i lost that book originally and my girlfriend found it for me and got it for me one christmas i was just like beside myself and i i it's here it's here with me now um and uh he was one of those guys that would have, you can imagine he would have dinner parties yeah. where the people that would show up to his dinner parties, he'd be like, oh yeah, Picasso's coming over with, uh, you know. <laughs> with Jeez, man. And, he, and he would have like, you know, all these like famous actors yeah. and people. And, and uh, but the, what I loved about him was that he would contextualize his portraits. He would take, these people and he would put them in a in a in a in a setting they, uh, that that supported what they did um you just got to kind of see the book uh, to know what okay. i'm talking about uh there's one very very famous famous portrait that he did of igor stravinsky where he's kind of leaning like this against a grand piano and the lid of the grand piano is up you can't miss it. It's that's Arnold Newman. And, uh, and it's all about composition. And I love, I'm, I love composition. I mean, the things that you're showing right now are just, there's less composition because mm -hmm. they're just straight portraits, but I have, uh, but I also take photographs too. And I'm also a photographer as well. So I love composition um, and how things are, the weight of something, like how it's weighted. Um but more for these for these pencil sketches more it was more that i just loved the way the light caught their eyes and it caught their faces and i just wanted to try and see if i could draw that so rapper mac miller i have him up now mac miller uh, uh he was part of three uh three rappers that i drew for my son my son was really into rap music and he said, oh, do you think you could ever draw me a, like a rap artist? And I said, well, send me the picture. I'll see what I can do. And um, there's two others um, that, I, that I drew that, that I'm pretty happy with. The pirate um, one with the, the, the braiding the on the, the uniform. I forget, That's really I forget cool. That guy, I forget that guy's name. And then the other guy who's got like, uh, he's got big dreads. And what, was, what caught my eye about that was that there's, there's, he's top lit. So there's like light shining down. So it almost like his, his hair kind of disappears into it's, it's covered with light. Yes. And um, that really caught my eye, you know, so I wanted to draw that. So I'm really happy with those, those three drawings that I did for my son. He loved them. You know, I gave them to him and he was, so he was pretty happy with that. They're beautiful. Absolutely. Yeah. They're, and they were just exercises for me. They were like, Oh, can I draw these people? You know, like, how can I draw, you know, uh, can I draw a person of color that, mm -hmm. that I haven't done before? Like, how do you do that with like, with skin tone when, mm -hmm. as opposed to drawing like a Caucasian person. So it became like um, a study for me as how do I do that? Like, what, what have I got to do to make it look like that and to make it uh, just right? You know? So that, that was really great. I have your grandmother up, which uh, oddly enough, actually in, in hindsight reminds me a lot of my grandmother, <laughs> <laughs> old German lady. The, the, the thing I loved about that photograph 
oh my god because i'd never really seen my grandmother wear those glasses which look like she stole them from like michael kane um back in the 60s and she's smoking a cigarette which i knew she smoked but that picture when i came across that picture i was like my grandmother looks like she ran a london crime syndicate <laughs> you know that's what she that's what i thought of when i saw that like the toughest old broad with these like with these Michael Caine square glasses oh, and a cigarette <laughs> hanging out of her mouth. And I was like, well, I have to draw this, you know, you know, I, so it was just, it was, again, it was just a, it was a study in something. Right. And, I, and, and I also love too that, that, you know, when we talked earlier about like the eyes have to mm -hmm. be perfect. Well, her eyes are obscured by yes. reflection, reflections lenses. And I was like, huh, oh, that's interesting. How am I going to do that? So I actually, what I actually did was I drew what I thought were her eyes and then I erased them out. Correct. It doesn't look like there's something wrong with her eyes. It really does look like, as far as I'm looking at it, it looks like you've captured a reflection on the lenses. Yeah. So that was achieved. Yeah. I also have a self-portrait, not the one from your son's photos, but a self-portrait of you kind of looking off to the left. Yeah. Here. That photo that I, I thought it was I, your yeah. dad originally. And then you're like, no, yeah. it's me. No, that if you, if you look at that photo, it, it kind of looks like me, but everybody who saw that uh, said, wow, it sort of looks like you, but you look incredibly sad. And I said, yeah, I was going through a really, really, excuse me, sad period in my life. I was getting, I was getting divorced. And I was having a really tough time, but I was still, you know, being artistic mm -hmm. and being creative. And this person, a friend of mine who was a photographer, took some photographs of me. And I saw that one and I thought, well, I'm going to try and draw it. And uh, so there's a heaviness and a kind of a sadness to that mm. that I hope I captured. But mm. that's that's what I think of when I see that particular picture. I have a profile of you that your son took and that you drew. Yes. Pull this up here. So that one, um, he just took a photo of me from the side. We were driving. Uh, we had stopped at a stoplight or something. And I just remember I was thinking about something and I had my hands like this. And then when I saw the photo later, what, what, um, what caught my eye were my own hands. Mm. And hands are hard to draw. Like if you, you know, you show, I don't, you, you, I guess you haven't shown that picture of uh, Richard Dean yet. I already did show Richard Dean. I can go oh, back you to did. it. So for me, the hands were, it was really important that, that, that I get the hands right. Cause if the hands don't look good. So you spend time on that, you know? And, um, and uh, for that, it was like this idea of what are my hands? What do my own hands look like? So that was the challenge in that drawing that I quite liked. Got I like that photo. I have, um, let me see here. Pull this up. An Irish fisherman. I love this. That that you want to talk about a face that has that has um, uh, uh, years uh, earned and hard lived on it. This Irish fisherman with his hat and everything else is just so well done. Yeah. Well, if you look closely at that, because uh, it's not even up in front of me, right? Like you're just uh, the way we're doing the zoom. I'm just remembering the the actual drawing. Mm -hmm. That picture, what caught my eye on that picture was his lip looks like it's been sliced. Mm -hmm. 
and kind of, uh, you know, I thought this guy's had some kind of fishing accident. He got a hook in his mouth or I don't know, God knows what. Something happened to this guy's mouth and it looks like his lip was slit open and then sewn back together. And of course, years later, it's not, it's still, you know, like a bad, bad stitching job. And years later, that's what he looks like. Um, Again, whenever I come across these photographs, there's always something in the photograph that has to kind of bring me to it and go, oh, that's interesting, you know. And um, and so the other thing that that I that I hadn't done before in a lot of other sketches of older folks, especially, was that he had he had kind of like liver spots on his face. Yes. And so and so I noticed that. And when I started adding those, I couldn't believe what it actually did to the to the sketch and how it really brought out his age. And just the fact that, you know, um, you know, drawing somebody who's older is just more interesting because of the lines and the crags and the shadows and what wh- where the light captures and where the darkness sits. They're just they're just more interesting. So for him, for me to draw him was was a real challenge. And you know, his his eyes are hooded, and um, and he just looks like he'd be a guy that you'd see at the local and would not be putting up with any guff and he's lived, uh, he's lived quite a life, you know? I agree. Uh, I have um, Ansel Adams here, who is one of my favorite photographers. Yeah, yeah. The thing I liked about what I was happy, particularly with this drawing uh, when I did, was on the, if you're, if you're looking at it straight on, the left side of the face, uh, not where his hand is, but the opposite side, just the, just the line of light that runs down the side of his face um, that sort of makes it makes it separate from from the rest of you know um, I always go to that I like it and um, again the hands mm-hmm. exactly if the, hand, if the hands don't work the hand that one's got hands and eyes so that was a that was a pretty tricky one to draw but but I think it came out pretty good I'm gonna go through some of these others fairly fairly quickly here uh, Chris Haddock um, Chris, I, Chris Haddock is yeah. a, Chris Haddock is a local uh, producer, uh, writer, who's quite well known in Vancouver, and um, I, I this that that photo I just came across in a mm. like a local trade magazine, and I thought, oh, this is a cool picture, Chris. And I'd worked on a show that Chris had had uh, created and years ago, and so and then one day. Uh, recently, like within the last year, I bumped into Chris. <laughs> he was sitting. Uh, he was sitting in Vancouver having a coffee outside of a place uh, with another actor friend of mine, Stevie Miller. And I said, "Hey," I said, "Oh, by the way, get this. I did a drawing of you once." He's like, "No way." And I said, "Yeah." And I went into my phone and I stood there for a sec scrolling, and I found it. And I showed him the picture, <laughs> and I said, "I just did this drawing of you because I thought it was interesting." And he was like. Wow, that, uh, that really is me. And and then I ended up uh, sending him a copy of it. There to, you go. I first thought it was Vincent Chiavelli when I first looked. I was like, it looks familiar. He's like, no, Chris Haddock. No, Chris Haddock says he's quite the iconic guy around it. I wouldn't mind talking about some of my paintings because I, yeah, uh, if you have any of the, other I do. Before there. before I move to that page, I would um, like to uh, bring up your, uh, your your production of of mice and men. So oh yeah, you, you did the 
you, you had a, a design for cover art. Right. That's a poster. Yes. That's poster art. So in that, I, the guy that I did all the art with that I told you that I've been doing art with for six years, we've, mm-hmm. we've gone on to do, he works in, he works in leather now. He does, he makes wallets and bags and uh, he's really, really good at that. He's amazing. And, uh, you know, I know that I, that if anybody was ever interested in, in what he did, I could get those pictures mm. to you because he's so good. Um, but also, um, he would, it got to the point where after a while he would come over, I'd be drawing and he'd be on his iPad because he was taking a, uh, a computer graphics course up at the, up at the local university just to kind of broaden his skill set. And so one day I said to him, Hey, I, I'm directing this version of, of mice and men with my girlfriend's son in it, uh, Elliot, who is uh, six foot three and he's going to play the part of Lenny and he's a guy with uh, physical and mental disabilities. And, but he also acts. Yeah. And so uh, the guy that he, that played George was Elliot's best friend. So the two of them were Lenny and George in this production of, of mice and men. And I got to direct a guy with disabilities to play a character with disabilities. disabilities. It was like the most astonishing, fantastic uh, uh, experience. Uh, oh yeah. Anyway, um, that was something else. But anyway, I had, I decided, I said, you know, to say, you know, because it's a theater thing, it's like low budget. And I said, well, I'll, I've worked in design before I'll design the, uh, the poster. So I went to my friend uh, Dana and I said, look, I got to design a poster for this thing. And I have an idea of what I want to, to what, what I want it to look like. And I roughed it out. And I said to Dana, as far as the graphic of what, of what's going to represent the play, because I'd done a bunch of research on on past productions of, of Mice and Men. And, uh, you know, a lot of them showed the two guys together, mm. you know, Lenny and George together, and maybe something with rabbits or whatever. But I said, what I haven't seen is, is the rabbit as a gun. I said, could you create the ra- uh, a, ra- a rabbit as a gun, turn it into, and could you mash them up? And so that's what Dana came up with was this, this graphic, this, this visual representation. And I was over the moon. I just thought, oh, my God, I've never seen this before. It's such a cool poster. And uh, if you squint, the rabbit, the rabbit is the, is the you know, the stock of the, the handle and, mm-hmm. uh, and got the gun. And, yes. the, and the hands are the, the hands are the trigger and mm-hmm. the, and the ears are, you know, the, the, the pen. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I was really happy with that. So, yeah. So I just drew upon my own past experience working in advertising as a, uh, as a graphic designer to come up with that. So was, yeah. Let's look at a couple more of the, um, the, the paintings, your stepdaughter on promise. Yeah. Uh, I love the color that, in this. Thank you. That, well, that, horse did that pony that was a pony and it had kind of like a reddish brown coat and by that time we had had to uh, she, uh, that pony had moved away from where we lived and uh up uh, like so so it was like about an hour and a half drive away from us because we just couldn't have you know lily was like growing up she was going mm. to school she wasn't going to ride anymore so uh but i would take her up there to visit promise and then she would because promise was injured Aww. and she couldn't she couldn't do any of the things that um that she did 
she couldn't ride him the way she could. So he was basically put out to pasture. And sadly, I heard that that, that promise uh, up at that place jumped a fence, ran into the road and got hit, got killed Aww. by a truck, got hit by a truck and killed. And so I painted that as kind of like a yeah, absolutely. homage to her and uh, to her and um, promise. And that was really, that was really my first painting. That was my first painting. <laughs> That's crazy, man. Your first go at something. A buddy, a buddy of mine who was like, uh, who's a, who's an incredible artist. Um, he, I, I sent him a couple of like, you know, stages of as it was, as I was working mm. on it. I emailed them to him and he said, why for your per- first painting, are you painting a horse? And I was like, and again, it's just one of those things that I kind of knew. I just knew I could do it. Um, I don't know what else to say beyond that. Mm. Much the same way that if you put a pencil in my hand, I kind of know that I can draw. I've always known this. And he said, why don't you just paint an onion? And I was like, an onion? And he goes, yeah, well, most people starting out painting, they'll Start paint small. like a apple or something and i was like no because i know i can draw this horse I there you go horse. so that's i was really proud of that as my first first go around and uh, uh your son and his grandfather yeah so my dad who's been dead about 15 years now that was uh no it's got to be longer than that because my son is 20 so he's so my son's got to be about two there in that picture mm-hmm. and uh so it was probably about 18 years ago that he um that my dad and my mom flew out to vancouver to visit and uh and so my son would sit on the back of that couch a lot of just on his own anyway but my mm-hmm. dad happened to be sitting in front of that uh that painting uh that that yeah sitting on that couch and that the covering of that couch mm-hmm. is velvet is velvet and when i showed the painting to my son he said oh my god he said dad no i remember what it was like running my hand on that velvet correct because he goes because if you run it the opposite way it looks white it captures the it captures the light the light kind of changes color and he said i'm looking at this painting and it takes me right back Uh uh-huh you can feel it yeah he could feel it he could feel it when he looked at the painting and i thought oh my god that's so cool that that my translates translated took him back to an actual tactile experience and i'll say very quickly about that other the the painting that's hanging in the background uh the white dress yes it is uh uh is the paint is a painting done by a friend of mine who lives in vancouver now that when she was in art school probably i 25 30 years ago i bought that painting from her Wow. Like, I was like, when was I ever in a position to buy art as a starving artist myself? But I was so taken by that giant painting that I bought it from her. And years later, find myself paint, doing a painting of the where, painting. I have, where I have to paint her painting. <laughs> and, and in I the shot. Like, in yeah. the shot. And I was like, I have to get this right because. Yeah. It means something I, to you. It means something to me. And when I sent it to my friend and I said, check out what I painted, she was just blown away. She couldn't believe that her painting had been painted. Because <laughs> it was in a shot. Absolutely. That's pretty cool. Before we get to your commission, uh, the last one I have of, is of him in Tombstone. Oh, my God. This is one of my all-time favorite shots that I took of my kid. 
he he's uh, he's about thirteen. Took him down to Tombstone. Took him down to uh, to Tucson, Arizona, mm-hmm. to visit a couple, uh, visit a buddy of mine and his son. So that we all we, the four of us hung out together. And my friend uh, Alex said uh, he said let's go to let's go to Tombstone and we'll uh, we'll kind of hang out in this old cowboy town and we'll watch like the the recreation of the OK Corral yep. and all that kind of stuff. And Oscar was just at the age where where he wasn't too cool for school and (laughs) and he and his and he and this other kid when they got there they said oh can you buy us some like plastic six guns and we're like yeah sure and they just like were went to town like little cap guns and they were like shooting at each other and chasing (laughs) each other around and it was like you know things would change after that my son would grow up and everything right so I caught him. So that photograph, I just caught my son in a moment where not only is he firing a six gun, but he's on this horse, like like pretending he's escaping from a bank robbery and he's shooting over his shoulder. <laughs> and 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 look at him, he's got aviator shades on. Yeah. And, and he's got a trucker's hat that says loser. And um I just love everything about that, about that. Uh, like I actually painted my son, like uh-huh. you, you captured exactly, a moment of him in time. I, and there's, there's a couple of spots on that painting that I absolutely love. One is where his leg is slightly bent mm-hmm. into the, uh, into the stirrup. So I got that right. Like, which is like the shape and the, uh, the angle of his leg is really important for me. And the other one is, is the arm that goes across like this is is kind of white and and it sort of bursts into the gun you know like the 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 gun becomes white the and there was something and that was the intensity of the Mm. sunlight the sunlight in 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 tombstone on that day was just Mm -hmm. it was just baking hot yeah welcome to my state (laughs) yeah so when when you go like that with his gun and and i and i was really happy and my son even said he really loved the way the arm looks with the with the mm-hmm. white on it. So and he paints as well. We had one of his paintings on the last time uh, you were on the show. He paints, he paints as well too. Yeah. But uh, the last time you were on the show, some fans reached out to me and said um, we'd, we'd uh, like Gary to consider doing some work for us. And you did a commission. Um, yeah. The first stage of which I have here on the screen. It's a gentleman mm-hmm. from Texas, right? Yeah. Yeah, and so this yeah. was an initial drawing, and his face is in the the lower left corner. You can you can see folks. right. So what happened was, I had two people contact me and uh, asked me if I would do some paintings for them, and those didn't pan out. I I said, yeah, I'll do them, um, and then eventually they said, oh yeah, we can't you know, we we can't afford to do it, and I'm, you know, but eventually that they just disappeared. Right, and I was like, okay, fine, whatever, no no worries. And then out of the blue, this young lady contacted me on Twitter. She sent me a direct message. And she said, I hear that you are, that you're accepting commissions. And I was like, uh, okay, sure. You know, I didn't, I had no expectations, you know, really low expectations. And she said, well, I would love to do a painting. I would love you to paint a portrait of my father-in-law mm. and his name is Ihor. uh, uh, I-H-O-R, and I think he's Ukrainian. I think, I think that's a Ukrainian name, something like that. And um, so 
I said, okay, sure. And we, and so then I just basically said to her, okay, if this is going to happen, I'm not going to get messed around. I want to, I'm happy to do it, but you send me, uh, you know, half the, you know, the Mm -hmm. deposit. And, uh, and as soon as that's in my bank, I'll get to work. And so she was like, okay, (laughs) it was like, okay, great. And I had the most, I, I just had such a lovely relationship with this young girl as I would send her uh, thing, uh, you know, segments of the sketches. Uh-huh. And um, I, I guess whatever you have up on there right now is just like the picture of him down in the corner and then me uh, right, uh, drawing grids, uh, yes. grid system on the, on the canvas so that I could get his face in the perfect proportion and make sure that I, that it actually looked like him as a pencil sketch before I began painting him because I thought you, you can't just start painting. You right. have to do the proportionally. sketch first and you have to go, okay, proportionally erasing, move the eye, shift this, shift that. And then once you have it as a line drawing, it doesn't have to be all super shaded in, but at least as a, uh, almost like a schematic, like a line drawing. And once that, once I was happy with that, then I began painting. And of course, because it was my first commission and I was a bit afraid of like, I was going, Oh my God, I hope to God this turns out. And I was, and so I started painting like the jacket and the tie and I was kind of working my way. And then I'll paint the shirt. And I was like, anything to avoid <laughs> painting the face. Then I painted some background. Then I started on his hair. Oh my God. <laughs> seriously. I was like anything to avoid those eyes having, having to make him look like who he looked like. Right. And I'll tell you a funny story just to go back when you showed that picture of Lily on promise. Yes. If, if you'd seen me paint that, I painted everything, everything I could except Lily's face. Right. Like, like I painted her hair. Her, her face was like an, uh, was like a blank egg. I basically, I basically, you know, concentrated it down to that until I finally got to the point where I went, okay, got no choice now. I got to paint her face because yeah. I left it to last. But what was great was that I had, that I, the, the, by the time I got there, I had, I had gained enough confidence in the painting. And I thought, you know what, this is going to be pretty good. I just got to make sure it looks like her and I just got to figure it out how to do it. And it, and it looks exactly like her. It really does. I mean, you don't know what she looks like, but it, trust me, it looks right. like that. But, but we're, we're looking at this guy here and I mean, you've captured him. You've got him. Spot on. Well, that was the thing. Um, if you notice, okay, uh, let me ask you a question, David. Mm-hmm. What do you think by looking at that, uh, by looking at a portrait, what do you think was the one thing that I found really interesting in that photo that, cat, that, that I thought, oh, this will be kind of cool. What do you think is the one little bit that I thought was super interesting? Um, I mean, from a, from a design aesthetic, if I'm just looking at it and I'm thinking about creating something like this, the glasses do an interesting thing on his eyes. That's it. That's it. That's what got me. Yeah. Cause it's, it's a distortion. So can it's you copy the distortion? It's a, it's a lens distortion. Uh-huh. And, and when you look at it, he, if you, if you sort of ignore the lens distortion, he just looks normal. He looks like his eyes just look normal. But they are distorted. They're, that that white bit, I mm-hmm. was like, I couldn't take my eyes off that. And as soon as I saw that, and people would say to me, "Well, you're not going to draw that in, are you?" And I was like, "Are you kidding? You I can't wait to get to that bit. Yeah. That's the bit. I, that's the bit I want to paint because 
because it just fascinated me how the how the lens uh, changed, you know, sort of like changed the side the mm. side of his face. Um, and I was loving doing that. So that brought me into it, and I kept looking at that. And then and then um, then it was a matter of just being uh, taking my time with it, you know, because if you get up if you get really up close to that uh, shot, I had like the thinnest paintbrush. And just like did the tiniest, tiniest white brush strokes to get his hair right. And then if you look at, if you pull back and you look at the the photograph of him, he's got a kind of a mixture of dark, uh, darker hair and white hair uh, on his chin. And you got to get that right. So it's a, it's not just like a white beard. There's a real kind of palette to it, and it's all mixed up, you know. And I got to get that. Res- couldn't I couldn't just do a white beard because that it just wouldn't look like him, you know. Right. Yeah, it has so, to be right. Yeah, and I just had to, uh, I had to be kind of a bit uh, aggressive with it in my in my brush strokes, and and I I was really happy with the way it turned out. You know, you did great work, man. Thank and you. if anyone is interested uh, in reaching out to Gary for a potential commission, it's actor Gary Jones eighty three at gmail dot com. Yeah, and I have put that. Uh, information into the um uh the chat so people will find it available there and i will also put it in the um in the show notes as well once uh, this is all up and running so thanks so much thank you David. this is so cool thank you so much for taking me through this stuff i think um uh there is there's so much more to be found in an actor's performance that informs their performance than just the role itself you know their entire creative body and Mm -hmm. you know to be able to share that with you um some some really intimate moments in your life you know with your kid and you know those legs man you know creates such 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 a a visual array of something spectacular It's, it's really special thank you so much for sharing well, I think I think basically what I've in looking back, what I realize I've done for many years without really thinking about it so much is chosen a creative life. Yeah, That's really, what I've done. So to become an actor and then move into writing and then improvising and then playwriting and then script writing and then photography and painting, it's in, <laughs> it's entirely creative. Uh, you know, and working in advertising and design. Mm-hmm. It's so my life is really that's the life I've chosen and whether or not it uh, necessarily always comes with a big paycheck it's not right. how it works you know yeah fulfillment this, is important you know oh, this is who I am this is what people know me as and uh and it's really great to to chat with you David you're mm. always just an awesome guy to talk with on zoom and just hang out with we always have a we always have a great have a time, time together you and I uh but what a what a brilliant uh opportunity for me to be able to because i don't i never talk like this like like the fact that you've actually asked me questions about some of these paintings and that that i can tell you what's behind them or whatever i never get to do that so this has been really kind of amazing for me so i appreciate it thank you for sharing anytime man i have some fan questions for you oh is it is it okay yeah Teresa mc and kicks 394 were there any mishaps uh, excuse me, Dan23 and Teresa MC. Were there any mishaps with uh, control room equipment over the years or incidents you had with technology, computers, doors, things like that? One time I was standing in the, in the hallway 
where you know like outside the SGC yeah and I and I reached up just I was leaning against the wall and I just pulled off a huge <laughs> I pulled off a huge bolt yes the bolts like, they were glued on yeah well it was like styrofoam yes and I just the bolt just came off in my hand and I said <laughs> oh sorry I pulled a styrofoam bolt off the wall <laughs> and they just went, oh, you idiot. And they just glue gunned it back on. Oh, my gosh. I was like, oh, my God, of course. Um, Chris Judge once, I'm pretty sure it was Chris, pretty sure. He changed all the letters on my keyboard because he <laughs> super disgusting. And I had to sit at the, you know, so that that, pop, that pop them off. Yeah, there's a tool popped, for it. He popped them off and then he rearranged them <laughs> and he wrote out a disgusting <laughs> on the on my keyboard. Our uh, um, uh, Radev, would you ever paint the Stargate? That's right, an interesting well, idea. Would you ever paint the Stargate? Would I ever paint it? Yeah. Uh, no, I don't think so. I don't think so. To be honest, I think I talked to you about this earlier, Dave, at some point, was that I wasn't, I don't think, I mean, is she, she's asking me as Walter? No, did, would, you, would you ever, or did you ever paint the Stargate, Aradev? Paint, you mean paint as in do a painting of Do it. a painting of the gate. Oh, yeah, of course I would. Yeah. I would do a painting of the gate. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Sorry, sorry, I thought, we, I didn't, I thought you meant, would Walter just decide to paint the gate? I don't think Walter, that's in his wheelhouse. He's more of a tech head. He's yeah, a gearhead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, you know what? We need to liven this uh, gate room up. Why don't we just do a nice robin's egg blue? <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm staring um, at it day in and day out. Would I paint the Stargate? Yeah, that would okay. be I've never done that before. That would be a cool challenge to paint a Stargate for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, Coclud, you, you basically answered this, but I, he was asking if it, would, uh, if it was different working on Atlantis compared to SG-1. Because you had the same set. Same set? No, they were in two different sound stages. Right. No, you had you were on the same set when Atlantis would come to you. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah, they were yeah. at the SGC. The only difference was I didn't really know that those guys that well. Right. You know, they were all nice people. Um, kind of got to know uh, Tori a bit more, uh, and she was really fun to hang out with. Um, you know what? They were all nice. Mm. All nice. I just didn't know them that well because I wasn't because I didn't see them. You know. Mm-hmm. As, I did the, the SG one cast, uh, but even everybody else was the same. The cast, the cat, the the crew were interchangeable. So. Right? Yeah, they would go from one to the other. Yeah. Peace Rider wanted to know the sketch that you did of Rick's dog Andy. Uh, did Rick ever get to see it? Yes, I showed it to him. I sent it to him, and he just loved it. Ah, he loved it. He thought it was great. You really captured that dog. That was an impressive drawing. I was really impressed, man. Of of all these that we went through, that was one of the ones that was like. Wow, that dog's eyes. There is life in that in that two D image. Man. Yeah. Yeah. No, I was I was really happy with that. I haven't drawn any other animals since. I haven't drawn any anything. That was that's the one and only dog that I've ever drawn. I was really happy with it. Rick was too. He thought it was great. What did you th- Redux, what did you think of your puppet form in two hundred? <laughs> did- uh, Wasn't that crazy? Hilarious. Hilarious. I, we when I only saw it when the, when I saw the show because the puppets were all done down in, in LA. LA by the um, Team America people, mm-hmm. and when we acted, we we basically they shot us 
in the SGC doing our scenes. Right. And then they just sent the footage down and replaced us with the puppets. Yeah, they shot reference shots of you and then a clean plate of the backgrounds and then composed them later on. Yeah. It's just crazy, man. So you never got to see your puppet in, in person? No, and everybody asks me that. That's one question that all the fans ask me. Do you still have your puppet? I go, I I think no. MGM's got them. They, they've yeah. got them. They're they not going to go, oh, get sold. Here, here's a puppet that costs like a trillion dollars. They were very expensive. Yeah, of course. So just create the electronics in them and everything was just so perfect. But Yeah, uh, no, no, no. And very, and so uh, hilariously written. Like make it spin yeah. and I feel so stupid. I feel so all. stupid. Yeah, it should spin. It should spin. It's round. It has to spin. (laughs) Oh, Don. God bless him. For (laughs) sure. Yeah. Uh, Norris Crossing and Jason Momoa, Teresa MC, we asked that. Uh, Dan23, was there anything you liked filming for a Stargate DVD extra? You did the the 200th episode promotion with Sci-Fi. Oh, down in... um... San Diego in Vancouver, you you did the um, the the 200th episode Sci-Fi Channel promotion. You, you're trying to get your the gag the running gag is you're trying to get oh, yourself in the 200th episode. Trying to get my trying to get myself into the 200th and going to Bo Bridges, right? Asking him if he can get me on. I'm trying to bribe him. I think it was like I think it was like I said something like I've got uh, I'll pay you a thousand like like what was it like two thousand large? <laughs> <laughs> no, I said. Uh, yeah, yeah, two thousand large, and he's like two thousand American. I go no, two thousand Canadian, kind of thing. It was, it was <laughs> some right. joke about like the fact that the money was Canadian conversion it meant it. It was large. Um, uh, that was really fun. But I'll tell you what: on the season ten box set, um, I uh, one of the DVD extras on there is me. Down in San Diego, uh, emceeing a, a yes. with a, okay, that was, they just put that on. I didn't even know. Somebody told me at a convention, they go, oh my God, you were so funny in that. I was like, well, how did you see, were you there? And they were like, no, it's on the, it's yeah, in the it's DVD, DVD extra. Like, yeah. You hosted so the SG1 panel. Yeah. I didn't get paid for that. You know, oh. they, it's not, but, but hang on, but hang on, but hang on. What they, uh, what they did was they flew me down, uh, I took my wife at the time. We uh, we got put up in this fantastic hotel. Everywhere we went was limos. You know, everything was like totally. It was great. It was a production. fantastic, full, full on paid for the vacation. holiday. Wow, the vacation. Not bad for a hosting gig. Well, what was funny was that was that the reason I got that hosting gig was because they were promoting it up in Vancouver, and it was like uh, they had asked me. Uh, could I, they were going to have Brad and all the actors up at, um, up at, uh, in, in the gate room uh, with some, with about 10 reporters sitting there asking questions. And could I moderate that? And I was like, oh yeah. And I, and I put my flight suit on and, and, I, <laughs> and, I, and, and they asked me to, right. And I said, sure. And I, I, so I put that on and so I just fielded questions and, you know, was like a little bit funny or whatever. Next thing I know they're flying down to San Diego to Comic-Con to do the same thing. And I get a, I get a question, I get called and they, and they say, would you go down to San Diego to do a Q and a with the cast and do the same thing? And I was like, yeah, for sure. Oh, for sure. So on the way down, flying down, 
I'm talking to Joe Malazzi and he goes, Joe goes, so are you nervous? Are you nervous about, uh, about doing this? And I was like, nervous? Why, why would I be nervous? It's just going to be like a couple of reporters there. And he goes, oh. goes, oh, no, 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 no. This is in front of 4,000 people. I was like, what are you talking about? He goes, this, th- that, that's what it's going to be. They just want you to MC at a podium. And, they're, and it's one of those things where, you know, the, they, 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 they pull the big wall aside and they make this ginormous Correct. room and it was packed with 4,000 people. And I guess anybody else might have been like, oh, my God. And I was like, oh, bring it on. Absolutely. So I think that translated when I moderated right. that, that uh, cast Q&A and just had a total blast with it. Uh, went out and was funny and took questions from the crowd and just hacked on them and made it really fun. And I think they just went, Oh my God, let's, okay, let's put this on the DVD. So it's on the DVD extra, which I'm really proud of. That's great, man. Gary, it's always awesome to have you on. I appreciate you uh, answering the the fan questions and and taking us through your art and just a a cross section of your life at this moment in time. It's, uh, it's really special. So it, um, it it means a lot that you've, uh, that you've joined us. Yeah. Uh, thank you so much, uh, uh, David. It was like, it's always great chatting with you. I want to mention too, that very briefly, like the people can contact me through, if they want to get me through Twitter, mm-hmm. you know, because that other lady did contact, she did DM me through Twitter. So it's like at the Gary Jones. They'll know, you know, they'll know it's, you know, you can perfect. I think there's a, I think there's a banana in a, sticking in a hole or something. <laughs> my profile is sticking in a sink. You know what it was? It was my mom would buy me things for the kitchen all the time. She'd go, have you got one of these? And I'd be like, mom, I don't use stuff like that. She'd be like, oh, you got, you got the latest thing. And she bought me one of those little sink catchers, you know, those little drain catchers. Yeah. And uh, so I put, I put a banana on top of it. <laughs> I took a photo of it and I sent it to my mom. I said, mom, this thing works like a charm. Look how it caught this banana before it, went into, <laughs> before it went down into the into the plumbing of my sink and she's like oh you're so bad anyway but at the gary jones um at the gary jones at the gary jones all is right the one. and uh they can they can dm me there or they can uh contact me through uh through gmail actor gary jones 83 at gmail yeah perfect yeah. sir well means a lot to have you oh, on. Oh, my Instagram. My Instagram is Gary Jones 680. 680. Gary Jones 680. All 680. right. Yeah, so that there's no there's no excuse for people not contacting me <laughs> and asking for commissions. <laughs> Thanks a lot, David. It's you take a, care of yourself, always man. Always a pleasure. We'll talk soon, okay? I appreciate you. Uh, I'll be in touch with you, all right? Cheers, man. You be safe. Bye-bye now. You too. Bye-bye. Gary Jones. Walter Harriman, Stargate SG-1, Stargate Atlantis, and Stargate Universe air. He was in the pilot episode. Um, I have a few fan questions before we go in and bring Sharon Taylor in. Uh, During the 12 things we want on Stargate event, Raj Luther asked, was it mentioned why the Ancients Atlanteans chose the Pegasus Galaxy and not the Andromeda Galaxy? It was not mentioned. Um, I would... I don't know. Was... Has Andromeda ever been used in in science fiction, other than the name for the ship? 
in Andromeda? I'm not sure. But yeah, the Andromeda Galaxy is is a possibility. I think some fan fan fiction has has covered it at some point, but no, there's never been a proper explanation in the show. Kicks 394, do you alternate live interviews on one Sunday and a pre-recorded interviews the next or does it depend on everybody's schedules? So what I try to do is have one Sunday designated every month as a pre-recorded. Um I'm getting ready to move. Announcement, announcement. Uh, so I'm going to be uh, taking the show into uh, uh, hiatus in terms of live shows pretty soon here. So I am banking some content for the next few weeks, and then we're going to go into uh, a different form of content, which I will reveal uh, soon in due course. Um, Teresa MC, are you planning to travel to the sci-fi cons and do you li- do live interviews with them? Uh, once, yes. So once it no longer costs two or three grand to go up to Canada and do a lot of those events up there, I want to do that. I want to do some location shows as well, uh, where we go to some of the um, uh, the hot spots and uh, uh, where it's you know there's significance to the Stargate story and uh, and uh, tell some tales there. Um, Redux Q, come try it. Any chance of having Jace? Hall, Todd Ray, Dan Castellaneta, Anna Grauer, Marina Baccarin, editors, some more SGU cast and captains of the spaceship, the actor who played Janice. All of these are on the table. Um, I've reached out to Marina Baccarin's management, have not heard back. Anna Grauer has passed for the time being. I'm hoping that she'll come back around uh, when she's less busy. Um, I, a, lot, a lot of the SGU cast have declined, unfortunately. Um, but... Uh, you know, you can't get everybody, so we're doing what we can with what we got. So that's what we have right now. Before I let you guys go, I did have fan art, as if we haven't had enough uh, art today. But I did want to bring um, this in because I thought it was just, uh, I thought it was just uh, way too cool here. Let me share this. Nebulon is providing the artwork for today um, on both uh, this interview and the. Uh, Sharon Taylor interview. This is Gary Jones um, uh, as Walter's family. He said, I think it would be cute if Walter had a family. So these little notes here. uh, Daddy's home. (laughs) In his flight suit. My name is David Reed. I really appreciate you uh, tuning in to Dial the Gate. It means a lot to have you here. We are going to be doing another uh, episode here in just a moment. Thanks to my production assistants, Jennifer Kirby and Linda Gate-Gabber-Fury. My moderating team, Summer, Tracy, Keith, Jeremy, Reese, Anthony. You guys make the show possible, continue to be uh, possible. So it means a lot to have you as part of it. And it means a lot uh, to have you joining us live uh, pretty much every weekend. I'm going to get ready for Sharon Taylor here. We're going to talk about from going from technicians in the Milky Way galaxy to technicians in the Pegasus galaxy. And she's going to be up next. My name is David Reed for Dial of the Gate. Thanks so much for tuning in, and we'll see you on the other side. Dial the Gate is hosted and executive produced by David Reed. The producer is Darren Sumner, co-produced by Linda Fury. The composer is Neil Acri. Animations by Bryce Ors. The production assistant is Jennifer Kirby. Moderators include Summer Roy, Keith Homel, Tracy Noller, Jeremy Heiner, Reese M., and Anthony Rowling. Logo designed by Deborah J. Bell. Additional effects by Thomas Tots, with contributions by model makers Chris Baker, Stephen Barr, Kevin Zabo, and Tom Paris. The archivists are Linda Fury, Zachary Adams, and Fred Eric Marcoux. For general inquiries for submissions, please contact us at dialthegateshow at gmail.com. 
Visit our website for the upcoming schedule, as well as an archive of our past episodes at dialthegate.com. Thank you.